Yo, Llama listeners, Joe here. In this episode, I had the honor and privilege of chatting with Dr. Janelle McCauley. Besides just being an amazing person and someone that I look up to and am inspired by, Dr. McCauley is an Air Force combat veteran, human performance specialist, and an executive leadership consultant. During our discussion, we explored mindfulness, risk-taking, and she provided some tips on how to command your mindset and much, much more. I know I gained a lot from this convo, and I know you will too. Enjoy. Live. Learning. Leadership. The Llama Lounge. Yo, welcome back to the Llama Lounge, a dialogue on all things life, learning, and leadership. This is Joe Bogdan, and I am so honored and excited to have this amazing guest in the lounge with me today, Dr. Janelle McCauley. How are you, Janelle? Hi, Joe. I am doing great, and I am so excited to be a part of your show. I've been following along for a while now, and it's just been amazing to see what you and um, your fellow group of like senior NCOs have done. And it's just an inspiration to see this type of growth and focus on professional and personal development. I love it. And I'm so excited to be a part of it. Wow. Yeah, that means a lot that you're following us because I've been following you for a while and I'm just so inspired. Um, And for, for our listeners, Dr. McCauley is an Air Force combat veteran and leader a human performance specialist, an executive leadership consultant, and someone, like I said, I've followed for a while, look up to, and I'm inspired by. Thank you so much for visiting the lounge. Um, This is just so awesome. I'm really excited for our conversation today. I think, you know, between what I've seen um, of following you and the articles you post and just the leadership example you set, I think we're going to have some really interesting conversation threads today. Oh, I hope so. I definitely think so too. So this is going to be awesome. But, you know, to get started, we are experiencing a unique year, to say the least, in 2020, right? Uh, and we also discovered there are, there are a lot of like similarities in how some of us are experiencing things across the country, but there's also like some subtle differences, right? So um, could you tell us like where you're at and what life is like there? Sure, sure. So I am somewhat recently retired. I retired in 2018 from the Air Force. My husband just retired this Mm -hmm. summer. We moved. We're building a house, right? So all the things they say, hey, watch out for mental health situations, (laughs) you know, new jobs, new um, environments, all those kinds of things. We decided to do them all at once and Mm. during quarantine. So so yeah, we're we're in the thick of it just like everybody else. You know, we've had challenges with our kids as far as, you know, school at home. Now we live in Utah and they're actually going to school, which has mm. been really great for our family and, you know, our joint like uh, combined focus on mental health practices because I think that's something that is being highlighted today is that we all need to do some type of proactive mental health strategy to ensure our ability to face adversity and challenge that is right in front of us, especially as we navigate through really a a world and an environment we did not choose for ourselves, right? None of us set out to say, hey, we hope that this pandemic happens and, you know, life as we know it changes significantly. But the fact of the matter is that that's what's happening. And so I tend to try to help my children and myself and my husband focus on what we can control right now because here's the thing about uncertainty that you know a lot of people say unprecedented times and these are uncertain times and we get really focused on uncertainty creating anxiety which it does Mm -hmm. 
But when you really look at uh, uncertainty at its foundation, every day is uncertain, right? right? We never know exactly how our days are going to unfold. And so if you step back for a second and instead of thinking, oh my gosh, this is horrible in this moment and this life is too big for me right now. I can't manage through the stress or the overwhelm. But if you step back for a second and say, hey, every day is uncertain. Every day provides an opportunity for me to be creative, innovative, change the way that I react and um, respond to my environment. Um, and, and if you focus on the things you can control, which the number one thing we can control are our thoughts and our mindset, right. Right, you can definitely navigate your way through in a more successful way. Yeah. You know, and you touched on so many cool things there. I think that proactivity is, is huge. And I think a lot of people don't really consider it. And I remember listening to, um, I, I'm a big UFC fan and uh, the style bender, Israel Adesanya was talking about the day after he won the championship, he went to go set up a, a discussion with his therapist. And they're like, oh, why did you do that? Were you going through anything? He's like, no, I just know me. And I know that when I go on a high, I can go down to a low. And I was like, you know, he's probably in his mid twenties and I'm thinking, man, the maturity that it takes to, and just the self-awareness, right? Because I'm like young, uh, like mid twenties, Joe Bogdan, not doing that, right? Not thinking about that. And I thought that was pretty amazing that people are even considering doing that nowadays. Yeah, that's huge, especially for someone out in the public mm -hmm. uh, to really admit and acknowledge that mm -hmm. we all need to be proactive in how we see our mental health. And you're right. I love the use the phrase self-awareness. Right. And I have that in my 20s either. And I definitely struggled. And in part of my story and where I kind of had this breaking point, really, that was the impetus for the dissertation work that I did and the changes I made in my life. But it was really this concept of being really successful and getting all the things you want, right? Like mm -hmm. kind of what he was describing, like he wins something and this is exactly what I want, but still being miserable, mm -hmm. right? Like you can see how a lot of times successful people, you know, find themselves in these moments of success and then they're afraid that they're going to lose it or the pressure to keep it or the expectations that get tied to it inside our minds, right? We cog it's called cognitive elaboration. So we build up these stories about what we think other people are going to think about us if we change course or we do something differently. And that pressure can be overwhelming for a lot of people. And so asking for help, seeking for help, or seeking help is vitally important, but the first step is even being self-aware mm -hmm. that it's occurring. Because I know for most of my 20s, I was in the hustle, I was in the grind, I was successful, right. I was meeting all the goals I wanted to meet, but at the surface, I was really miserable because I kept telling myself things like, well, as soon as I'm done with this command position or this mm -hmm. particular job, then I'll start taking care of myself. Or as soon as I'm done with this degree or this training program, then I will start paying attention to my family. But every time you meet a milestone or a goal, there's another one right behind it. Right. So you're constantly reevaluating and making new deals with yourself. In the meantime, you're, you're mind wandering and missing most of the, the goodness and the high performing spaces of your life. And um, you end up not seeing the joy. And yeah. that I wish I had when I was younger. And I hope more people can get that self-awareness earlier in their careers. Yeah. Cause I think also like what you're saying is that you keep on pushing that goalpost, right. And you're looking for the next milestone. And for me, um, I know I shared it a couple of times on this podcast that when, when I got to the rank of chief master sergeant, I thought I was going to be extremely happy. 
and it wasn't right and i don't know if it was because i was so addicted to the next thing and i realized that i mean there's still more right but i mean like at that point i'm like what's next and i was yep. i felt lost i felt like i was kind of floundering around a little bit well and i think the military and this is in a lot of my work i work with high stress occupations and most of them are uniformed mm-hmm. you know, healthcare first responders military and we all suffer i think from a very similar issue and that's with identity mm-hmm. right like our identity gets very tied into like the uniform we wear and the rank we have on our shoulders because that's how we are identified by our names right like by mm-hmm. our professions you know for 20 years i wore a flight suit and was identifiable as a pilot you know in the air force and so those become who we are and that's the danger because who we are shouldn't be what we do right they should be separate. And the problem I think in most uniformed professions is that we spend so much time focused in the what we do that it becomes who we are. And then we have, when we have to take off that uniform or we reach those pinnacles of you know, career success, then we look around and we're like, wait, who, who am I? Mm-hmm. I've never asked myself those deep questions. I've never done that inner work to really make sure my thoughts, my emotions, my feelings, my actions are all in alignment. I've just been so worried about the doing and what we know about psychology and in the space of human performance, when you, when you do the work to figure out the who and the being like how to be you, when you do that first, the doing just flows from there and you can do amazing things. Yeah. I think that's such a great point. And you know, me, like I know there's going to be a lot of transitions between now and when I retire, I plan on doing another 11 years if I can, if the body holds up, but I'm already trying to be proactive about separating myself from that idea of, okay, being a chief is my identity. You know what I mean? Like uh, it's just part of who I am and I'm working on that continuously. And um, cause I don't, I've seen it before where people get to that retirement point and they're like, they have like anxiety attacks, you know? Cause they're like, wait, I'm, I'm going to lose myself after this moment. I'm like, no, you're not, you're still somebody, right? <laughs> For sure. And that deep work, I think, is really tied, you know, I'm really big on people understanding what their purpose is. Mm-hmm. The work that I do with a lot of individuals, I want, I help them craft what we call a personal philosophy, mm-hmm. right? It, it's the way to kind of define what makes you you and how you show up every day so that when pressure is applied, which is going to be applied, right, no matter where we're at, whether we're in a combat environment, whether we're just daily, you know, doing our jobs or we're leading teams, right, there is pressure, stress, and overwhelm that comes at us. If you haven't done that inner work to be aligned, mm-hmm. you're going to be lost, especially in high-pressure situations. And so I'm really big on everybody stepping back and really thinking about, like, why do I get up in the morning to be mm-hmm. me? What does that mean? How can I bring clarity to that for myself and for those around me so that I can have accountability and that I'm showing up in the way that I want to show up each and every day? I think that's, it's hard work to do, right? A lot of people don't want to spend the time to self-reflect in that way or to answer those deep questions. Like, how do you define success? Mm -hmm. What are your values? What is your purpose? And, you know, for me, once I figured out what my purpose was, and this was kind of midway through my career, it was really I wanted to help others achieve peak performance with a focus on passion, purpose, and presence. Mm -hmm. And as a commander or as a leader or as an instructor in the military, that was my goal every day, to get up and to help others be their best selves. And then when I retired, it was really easy to just, change clothes and now i get to do and execute that same purpose each and every day with the people i work with with the 
tasks I get to do. But then even on the days that I don't do work, I still do that with my kids, mm -hmm. right? I want to help them be their best. And so that's really helped me bring clarity and alignment into who I am and how I, how I show up. Oh man, that, I think that's why I like you so much. Like, I mean, the same thing. Like I, I loved how you, you talked about how you kind of figured out midway through. I think for me, it was about when I started working at the Airman and Family Readiness Center as a tech sergeant, I really didn't know my purpose. I was just kind of um, executing, you know, executing, being successful, executing. And then at that point, I realized that um, I love teaching. You know, and like you said, helping people reach their maximum potential. So, and I talk about it a lot. You know, one of my visions is just to create those world championship winning coaching trees where people can, you know, learn how to be great leaders and move on somewhere else. And I continuously do that now. And, you know, and another thing that you just kind of brought up earlier when we were talking was like how everything's uncertain. We don't get to choose, right? What's going to happen. And um, a friend of mine brought up, he was like, we don't get to choose our battlefields, you know, as leaders, we don't get to choose the arena all the time. And I'm like, that is such a profound statement to me because I'm like, you're right. You know, just like, I've seen a lot of people that are teachers and they're like, Oh, I don't teach virtually. I was like, Oh, well, are you a teacher? <laughs> right. Right. Are you a leader that only wants to lead in these certain environments? And I think that's cool. What you talked about has like your, your, the mindset shift to be able to deal with the uncertainty. Exactly. I think if you look back at any amazing new technologies, innovations, right, it's always been in moments of extreme chaos and uncertainty, mm. right? Because that is where we get paradigm shifts. That's where we are forced to be creative and think outside the box and, and take risks. Um, although I do want to come back to the risk taking real quick, but you know, a couple of resources I'll give um, out in this space. Um, there's a book called Think Like Da Vinci uh, that talks about how you spur creativity, like mm. how you get about, um, how you think about complex problems, ask the right questions. Um, I don't think we do that enough sometimes, right? right? Like you just kind of get paralyzed and the anxiety and fear of the uncertainty um, or what our mind tells us is uncertainty because again it's there every day right mm -hmm. and so we're just elevating it in our own minds um, based on the circumstances and the current climate um, with respect to risk taking yeah. you know I a lot of my dissertation work and the things that I've studied and continue to work with today is you know looking at the people in the world who have pushed the boundaries on human potential, right? Who have done things that most people would say, gosh, that's, that's crazy, right? Whether it's Alex Hanold who free soloed El Cap, whether it's amazing CEOs that have grown these companies, um, you know, there's Luke Akins who jumped out of a plane and without a parachute and landed in a net, right? Like people, what makes people do that? That's, I've always been fascinated by that. Mm -hmm. um, or these elite athletes and Olympians who have done amazing things on a world-class stage. And when you really look at all of those individuals and you study them, what I found is they are no different than you or I, mm -hmm. right? Like we are all human beings and we all operate from a very similar physiology. What's different is our psychological framework. Mm -hmm. right? The individuals who do push those boundaries have done certain things to train their minds to be their best in those environments. And I think that's one aspect, especially in the military environment that we have not formally focused in. 
Hmm. Right. We can train three things. And according, according to uh, the research into human performance, we can train three things as human beings, our body, our craft, and our mind. Hmm. And we understand body, right? We have PT programs. We understand craft. That's your technical expertise. And I think everybody in the military would say that is where I spend the majority of my training time, mm-hmm. right? To be a good um, med tech or to be a good aircraft maintainer, to be a pilot, right? We spend a lot of significant amounts of time there we don't formally train our minds. We're never exposed to that. We're never really taught how to do that. And we're missing a huge opportunity. And there's actually a performance, a psychological performance training gap that exists because we're not focusing in that area. And when you look at the best of the best, they don't leave anything to chance. And so they're not going to leave training their mind on the table, right? They're going to, to do everything they can to not just prep their body and their craft, but prep their mind for those um, stressful and rugged environments. So, and then that goes to risk-taking, which I think is another aspect of the environment we live in today, right? I, I think we don't take as many risks anymore. Mm-hmm. And in the space of high performance, there's this, there's this space between hesitation and commitment. Right. And in that space is whether is you choosing from a mental side, right, from with your mindset, am I going to commit to this venture to knowing that this risk may lead to failure, knowing this risk might lead to some mistakes, but also knowing that it could lead to learning and growth and further development of myself or when we're talking about teams, right? Like Mm -hmm. does your team take risks? And in that space between hesitation and commitment, the majority of people hesitate. Right. right. The majority of people choose to stay small, stay in their comfort zone instead of taking those risks. And I think there are three reasons why. The first is a lack of presence, right? Because in that moment, you need presence. You need to be, that's where greatness happens is in the moment. It doesn't happen when you're thinking and rewind or thinking and fast forward. It happens when you're present and fully engaged in the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you're present, you're w- more willing to take risks in, those, uh, in, in that space between hesitation and commitment. Additionally, purpose. Have you clearly defined your purpose ahead of time? Because now pressure is being applied in this risk-taking moment. If you haven't done that deep work, you're more likely your brain's going to go in survival mode and you're mm-hmm. going to back out, right? Because you're going to be like, this is too big for me. And you're going to have to rely on just survival skills instead of psychological um, skills that you've built up. And then the third thing in, that, in those moments is, do you have the psychological framework that's rooted in optimism? Because the number one constrictor on our potential is fear of other people's opinions. We call it FOPO. Mm-hmm. Right? Do you, are you too busy thinking about what other people think of you or what other people are going to think about you or your organization in this high risk moment? Or are you focused presently in the moment with a clear purpose of where you're going and how to stay aligned? And have you built an optimistic framework to like genuinely understand and believe that something good is about to happen when you take that risk? Yeah. Wow. I mean, there's a lot there. And, and I was thinking about, it, you know, in that space there, I think I've seen it where, for one, I think a lot of people um, don't take the risk because, you know, I think we've kind of rewarded an environment where we don't take risk, you know, in some ways it's kind of created, and especially in the Air Force, it's been institutionalized almost. But the other thing that, you know, like people start hedging too, right? They start hedging in that moment instead of like going full one way or the other, they end up hedging. And, you know, maybe some of it's the, op- the lack of optimism and they start, because you, when you just start hedging, I think about it like um, when I teach people to snowboard, I'm like, if you don't commit and you hesitate, you're going down. 
There's, you know, there's no way you're not, you have to commit to be able to be able to succeed, you know, in this endeavor. And, and so many times we start hedging and we just basically set ourselves for failure right when we do that. We do, we do. And you hit it absolutely right. I think we, as a culture within the military, really need to evaluate our risk taking, mm-hmm. you know, like the environment we're creating around risks um, and mistakes, right? Like it's even as a commander, I was very big on allowing individuals to be empowered to try things, right? To be innovative, to be creative, and to learn. Right. Now, there's obviously a difference between a mistake and a crime, right? Mm-hmm. Like, no tolerance when you're kind of veering into the crime space, but mistakes, like, we should let people make mistakes and fail. And I saw it all the time where people are just catching each other like too fast, right? Like, they want to say, well, if you're not gonna do it right, then I'll just do it myself. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and instead we're, we're robbing those individuals of the empowerment and learning experiences that are going to make them not just followers, but leaders themselves. And one of the greatest things I ever did as a commander is I had a concept, we called it no email Friday. Mm. And on Fridays, there were no meetings. There was no, I was never on email. In fact, I, I encouraged all of my subordinate leaders, flight commanders and such to not be on their email either. And it was an empowerment tool because people knew on Fridays, you couldn't just email your boss to get the answer, right? Like you had to actually either pick up the phone and call them. Cause I always said, Hey, if you really need me, give me a call. Cause I'm going to be out and about, you know, learning more about the airmen that work for me. But if you need me, give me the call. And most people would have to head, you know, they'd be like, well, do I really need to call them or can I take risk myself? Right. And I always encourage them to take the risks. And then on Monday, it wasn't like this Monday morning quarterbacking of like, you guys F that up and screwed Mm -hmm. that up. It was more like, okay, what did we learn and how can we do better next time? Right. It's a, a learning tool. And I don't think we do that enough as individuals within the organization and the organization as a whole. I think that we're, unfortunately, uh, limiting our potential for growth and to really be high performing if we continue down that path. Yeah. And also I've seen a lot of it is just lip service because like you're saying like, okay, I want you guys to take risk, but then instead of, um, on Monday, we, we say, Oh, what, what did we learn and move forward? We, we say, Oh, you did F this up, you know, and this and that. And it's like, you can't have both, right? <laughs> you can't have both. You gotta be like, when I left my position, I had to give the stick to somebody else. I told them, Hey, these are your lefts and rights. And they're very general and broad. Take care of the people, take care of the commander, you know? And if you're going to do something that's going to be long lasting impact and call me because right? I would at least like to have some input on it. But otherwise, the decisions you make are the decisions we make. Right. And we'll, and we'll work through them. And I think that's very important to have that. But you got to follow through on that backside of like, OK, I really meant that. I'm not going to I'm not going to, you know, crucify you for that decision. You do, because if you if, if you don't do it that way, then you just have ruined empowerment. Right. right. And you've mm-hmm. ruined risk taking for that individual because they're constantly going to be have FOPO right mm-hmm. in their minds when they come up to the next opportunity for them to take a risk. Mm-hmm. And that is what's going to limit your individual growth and your organizational, um, you know, entering that high performing space. And that's, I don't think what any of us want in the long run. So yeah, you know, you're right, because it's like throwing just a pebble into the into the water, that ripple effect, and that person now working somewhere else. I mean, I've had it where people come to me, and I'll ask them a question, and then they seem like they get defensive. And I'm like, why are you getting defensive? I'm literally asking you because I don't know the answer to this question. Who hurt you? Right? Where, what happened to you in the past that you feel like when somebody asks you a question, you know, that might be um, superior to you in rank that 
they're questioning everything about your integrity and character. And I'm like, no, I'm literally just asking you a question. I have no idea what the answer to that question is. Exactly. Cause that's like trauma, right? right. It's trauma and it's toxic. And it's when, you know, it, it stifles, right? The ultimate innovation, created creativity, risk-taking growth, like development, greatness, mm-hmm. high performance, all those things for your organization when it becomes part of the culture. And, you know, if you, like, I think many leaders are just so scared that they'll, they're, it's really easy for them to throw other people under the bus, you mm-hmm. know, get yelled at by their boss. And they're like, oh, it wasn't me. It was this person. And that's like not creating more leaders. That's just creating a bunch of followers. That's just creating a bunch of fear within your organization. And so we need to really pay attention to those interpersonal um, interactions that we have and how we're facilitating growth and learning within our organizations, right? Do you want a high performing culture or do you want one that's really fearful and safe? Because here's the thing about safety, right? Like I like to kind of share with people that I think of our comfort zone is like a bullseye mm-hmm. outside of that. There's a ring our challenge ring, And outside of that is our ring of fear. And where do you live your life? Right. Do you just sit inside your comfort zone? And many people do, and that's okay. Right. Like if you stay inside your comfort zone, you just have to be fully aware that you are choosing to be safe, mm-hmm. but you are choosing also to be small. Mm-hmm but you will never push the boundaries of what you're capable of. You will never see what your organization can do. You could, you will never really help your airmen reach their full potential. If you just sit inside that comfort zone, right? We know that by the science and the research and, and, and so how do you get outside in those other rings and how do you help yourself turn those opportunities into learning and growth and improvements for your culture? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's so important too. I was talking to um, Erica Kelly yesterday on the podcast and she was talking about the law of the lid and how like, if you're the leader and you're like operating at a six and you don't want to get outside of that comfort zone of six and you have sevens, eights and nines working for you, you create this environment where they're stifled and a lot of times resentful because you're not growing also. You know, and, and I was like, oh, that's such a that's such a great point on why we need to continuously develop our leaders, right? And and we have to seek that out because you don't I don't think leaders purposely want to stifle their people. It's just it happens, right? It happens to whatever. Maybe it's ego or whatever else it might be. But I think that's such a great point about the comfort zone. Well, and I think it's ego that that plays into it, I think, and and fear. Um mm-hmm. Also, here's like the way our minds work. You know, no one intentionally says, hey, I'm not going to really listen to my people or I'm not going to pay attention when they come to me with their problems. But the way our minds work, and especially today with the amount of stress that's applied to us, with the amount of distraction we mm-hmm. have, you know, the, the research will tell us that our minds uh, mind wander and are distracted almost half of our waking moments. Mm-hmm. So almost half your day right? You're not paying attention to what's going on in front of you. You're actually listening to that, you know, the thoughts, feelings, and emotions inside your head. Like I like to think of our attention system, like a flashlight mm-hmm. can be laser focused in front of us or laser focused internally at that, that on that iPod inside our mind, right? Thinking and catastrophizing about the future, rewinding and ruminating over the past. And so you could have someone come into your office and your intention is to listen and pay attention. But you're going to miss half the conversation because you're going to be thinking about the email you need to write or the to list or what just happened earlier. Or maybe that person said something that brought up something in your mind. That is just how fantastic our minds are at mental time travel. And we're not self-aware. 
that it's happening. That is the problem. You know, the, the mind is going to do this. We know this. So how to fix the problem is to increase our self-awareness to catch ourselves when it's happening. It's like you read a page in a book and you get to the bottom and then you think, oh my God, I totally missed everything that I just read. And mm. sometimes maybe you have to go back a couple pages to realize this is where I stopped paying attention. That is how sneaky mind wandering is. That is how bad distraction can be. And again, it's unintentional. Many times we may not, we may just not be listening in order to help support our teams for taking risks, right? We're kind of like mind wandering through some of our interactions and we're not self-aware enough to, to correct that. So I think yeah. that's a problem too. Yeah, I think so too. And I mean, I think a lot of times we kind of go through that, whether it's in a conversation or just my drive to work. I don't remember the last seven miles, you know, and I'm, now I'm at the gate pulling out my ID card and, and maybe on the way to work. I mean, it's probably not the best thing still, but it's probably not as dangerous as if I'm downrange on a convoy though, right? Like now I'm like not remembering the last six miles because I'm not paying attention. Um, so what are some things that you would say that, you know, that can help? Like, our mindset to try to stay more, you know, mindful and, and try to program us to maybe build some habits to bring us back. Because I think we'll always kind of drift a little bit, right? We got stuff going on all the time. We do. We do. So there are a, a ton of tools. In fact, in a lot of the programming, I teach 16 different principles of mindset. So there are 16 different ways you can formally train your mind to be self, to be high performing in high stress environments. And it's all based in uh, through two lenses, that of scientific research and then that of evidence-based practices and alpha competitive environments. And so it's been tested and it's, it's, that's what we teach. But with that, I would say the most important aspects, you know, the number one skill set really is mindfulness. If you cannot get out of the cognitive elaboration, the storytelling, the fear of other people's opinions, the rumination and catastrophes, right? If you can't get outside of that and get more in the moment, you really are going to struggle no matter what else I teach you. And this is something that I'm trying to get through to many academic institutions that want or training programs, right? They're like, oh my gosh, we have so many really important training things to get these students through. We have no time to do mental skills. Well, then they're not really understanding what mental skills provides you, provides for them, right? Because if you front load with mental skills, then the pressure and the stress that you put them under for the rest of the program, they're going to be better equipped, right? They're going to be more optimistic, more present, more focused, more calm. They're going to retain more information. All of this is based in the research when you front load with these types of mental skills and mindfulness really is the foundational skill because that's what helps you live more present that's what helps you access that self-awareness right mm -hmm. which i think is critical to all aspects of our leadership our performance even execution of our craft no matter what our job specific skill set is and so how you would do mindfulness is really um it's about practicing mental push-ups. That's how I like to say it, right? We all get that we need to do our physical push-ups. Like there's no question when it comes to that. I'm also asking now, we, all, we need to incorporate mental push-ups into our daily routine to strengthen our minds, to build psychological flexibility for those moments of challenge and adversity. And so with mindfulness, uh, I usually teach that it anchors on our breathing mechanism, right? Like the, the power of our breath. And I do that for a couple different reasons because First, our breath is free, right? So I don't have to, you don't have to pay me for it. Um, and it's always with us, 
right? I think this is what um, the, the military sometimes has problems when I tell them, like, you guys need to do mindfulness. And they're like, all right, how do we build an acquisition program around it? Mm -hmm. And I'm, well, there is no real acquisition program because it's built on something that's free and always with you. So you don't have to equip anybody with anything. You just have to teach them how to access it. Um, so that's the great thing about our breath. And then here's the other link with our, our primate physiology. Back when we were, our ancestors were running from saber-toothed tigers, right? Mm -hmm. They run away from the saber-toothed tiger, and as soon as they were safe, what did they do? <sighs> right? Like they took a big exhale. They'd go, <sighs> I'm safe. And that triggered for the body-mind connection to tell, to, to tell your mind, I am now in a safe space, right? Mm -hmm. I can calm down. I can relax. So that's the other aspect of our breathing that's so valuable and important is that is like innate in our physiology as that deep exhales, signal safety, signal calm. Mm -hmm. So when I teach you how to do your mental push-ups on using your breath, not only are you using and practicing this skill set that is extremely vital and doing your mental push-ups to stay more in the present moment, but I'm also teaching you how to, in a high-stress situation, Use your breath to immediately find calm and focus to handle the situation in front of you. Wow. Yeah. I mean, we hear it all the time, breathe, you know, you know, use your breath and everything. But, you know, until you hear it connected, like how you just talked about it, I think most of us just still like think it's just woo woo, you know, like, it's like, oh, it's just some stuff they say about breathing. Yeah, I breathe. I breathe all the time. It's not helping. But in reality, it does if you're deliberate about it. Right. And it can bring you back in that moment. And, you know, I also think, you know, we talk a lot about how this mindfulness and presence is important in our um, in our missions, but so much so also in our family life, in our relationships. You know, I, I found that um, there's been times where I was spending time with somebody and then later I was thinking, oh, this time's going to end. Right. I'm already living in the future. And then it's like not doing anything good for the moment. You know, you're almost wasting away the moments in the present. And that's not doing anything good for that relationship whatsoever. It's not. It's so damaging to those relationships and, and building and cultivating trust ultimately. Uh, you know, one of the I'll tell just two quick stories from my time in command. But when I took command, I had just researched all of this. I knew I wanted to share it. I just didn't know how to share it. And I was kind of cautious about coming off too strong right in the beginning. And it's funny because my biggest critics and hardest probably demographic were my senior NCOs. As I'm <laughs> right? And they were the ones that I think were the most skeptical or they were going to be the ones that I was going to have the biggest challenge and kind of getting buy-in from. Um, and so I started with a couple different techniques. One was I just led by example. Right? I didn't want to say like, hey, I meditate and practice mindfulness. Everybody else is going to meditate and practice mindfulness too. Mm -hmm. It was more like I did not hide the fact that I did it, right? Like mm -hmm. I was very vocal about it. I put it on my calendar. I'd made sure that everyone knew like, hey, to deal with this situation, I'm going to take a step back and take some deep breaths before I, I respond mm -hmm. um, to, the, to the environment that's stimulating me in this, in this moment. And so I, I was by example. And then I also... I got their buy-in and we created together this concept we called go to the cloud. And what that meant was we taught all the airmen, in fact, in my very first commander's call, I taught them about their stress response, right? The physiological symptoms that happen when we're under stress, where we get sweaty palms, our heart starts racing, butterflies in our stomach, hair stands up on the back of, of our neck. Like when we feel that, where we want to make an emotional overreaction to the situation, I told them when you feel that, that's for self-awareness, right? 
I want you to take a step back and go to the cloud. And what I meant by that was take two really deep diaphragmatic breaths. Mm -hmm. And then instead of emotionally reacting, I want you to rationally respond. Mm. And so we called it go to the cloud and it became kind of a buzzword in our squadron. I could even hear like airmen in the hallway that would be like, dude, you really need to go to the cloud. <laughs> right? We're checking each other. Um, and then they started asking me, well, what am I doing when I'm in the cloud? <laughs> right? Like what does it mean to step back and take two deep breaths? So I started teaching them more. And then before we knew it, we were meditating together. We were practicing mindfulness as a team, like at commander's calls, at leadership meetings. Uh, you know, my subordinate flight commanders were using it as a technique when they sensed that there was this overwhelming amount of stress and emotional reactivity tied to decision-making within their sections. And so one of the greatest compliments I ever got though was from the senior NCOs as they were leaving, you know, I would do exit interviews. And a lot of them would say things like, ma'am, we did not know how to take you at first. Uh, they definitely had a different style of leadership, but they all said that they appreciated like what they were learning because it was not only helping them in their professional space to be better leaders and better, whatever their technical expertise was, but it was changing their families, Yeah, right? Like they were paying more attention to their spouses. They were like having deeper relationships with their kids. They were more aware when they were on their phones instead of being physically and mentally present with those that were most important to them. And that was what was most important to me, right? Like yeah, that those yeah. changes were occurring, yeah. not just that are. Yeah. I think, you know, and I was thinking about that breathing, you know, you're talking about the, um, the specific types of breathing. I think there's also like, we can suck at that, right? I mean, it takes practice to learn how to do that, right? I feel like because, you know, you say, oh, just breathe deep or whatever, but there's actually like a method to it, right? There is. There is. There's different ways to breathe. Um, you know, diaphragmatic breathing is what I really suggest is like belly breathing. And, you know, in any, at any given moment, we're only using about 20% of our lung capacity, right? We shallow breathe. And that's not really activating and that deeper connection um, within our physiology and like that mind-body connection. We really need to take those deeper breaths to find our way to calm, to find our way to focus, right? Which are mental skill sets that are valuable no matter what it is we're doing. It's, it's about pers uh, uh, relationships. It's about building trust, right? We need those things. And so uh, I'm really big on that diaphragmatic breathing. So it's like almost if you kind of put your one hand on your belly, one hand on your chest, and you, and you almost take like belly, chest, exhale, like that kind of a, a three part breath, right? So belly, Really feel it, the inhale go through your belly, then another to the top of your chest, and then exhale. And that can really um, just training in that kind of a space. And when you practice the breathing and you're focusing intently on just your breathing sensations, mm -hmm. you are being mindful. Right. right. You are exercising your mind to stay focused on present moment sensations and not on the iPod inside your head. Right. Um, so it, it, it is very valuable. All those breathings, there's box breathing as well. Like where you kind of like, you know, inhale for four, hold it for four, exhale for four, hold it for four and kind of do that cycle. And so all those ways of breathing, it's really about where does your mind go while you're doing the exercises of breathing. And if your mind is focused on the sensations and that is being in the present moment, focusing um, on those mental pushups. Yeah. 
That's awesome. No, those are some great tips. And I know I, I need to work on it a little bit myself. I mean, I know uh, for me, a lot of times um, I need to go for a run or something, you know, if it's something like that, but I don't always have like an hour for a run to be able to calm myself or for whatever's next or to clear my head. So I think some breathing exercises would be very beneficial. And I, I never really found myself, I, I, I bought a Zabotan and a medit you know, to meditate on and a pillow and everything. And I just couldn't, keep it going, that habit of doing it. But I think the breathing and sitting, I think could be very beneficial. Um, and and that's something I'll work on. Yeah, you can even, I tell people, you can be actively practicing mm -hmm. mindfulness too. Like if sitting on a cushion, you know, doesn't work for you, like mm -hmm. that is totally fine. There are different ways to really mm -hmm. tap into the resource. Um, I find that I try to get outside every day to do some type of activity and just the, like, the fact of being outside in the fresh air, taking in oxygen, right? Mm -hmm. Like that helps me stay present and mindful. And so I can do my mental pushups just by taking a hike or taking a walk mm -hmm. or being outside. You could do it while you're running. In right. fact, like when you get close to, and maybe you're, you're familiar with flow state, mm -hmm. right? Where like time can either stand still or time either speeds up, but you feel fully engrossed in the activity you're in, right? Yeah. And you have optimal brain chemistry that keeps you intently focused in those moments. Right? That's the optimal space for the human mind. And many people struggle to find it. Some people will find it while they're like, I get it a lot when I'm skiing, yeah. right? Like I'm focused on being downhill and I'm outside taking in the fresh air. Like I absolutely love those moments. And that's where I'm cultivating that skill set of presence. And that's really what it does, right? Like the more you practice these mental push-ups, because the, the mental push-up happens when you're focusing on your breathing, you're focusing on your breathing, and then your mind starts getting distracted. Mm -hmm. and you're, you become aware that it's distracted, and then you bring it right back to the breathing. Focus on your breathing, get distracted, right back. Every time you refocus, right, that's strengthening your attention system to stay on the play button, right? Like mm -hmm. in the moment. So the more you practice that, the more you'll build up the skill set for living more of your life in the play button, as well as building up a skill set so that when you're in high pressure situations, you tap, you know, um, tap into that breath, take an exhale, do that like, I'm safe, I'm calm, I can stay focused, and you refocus in the moment in those high pressure situations. Man, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'll be practicing that throughout the next couple of weeks for sure. <laughs> thank, thank you for sharing that. No, of course. And here's the thing about it. Like some days I'm better at it than others. So the right. other key is having self-compassion and forgiveness tied to it, right? Mm. Like if you don't get it in a certain yeah. day, that's fine. And then here's another tip because I found this, I'm a very high stress, highly anxious person. Mm -hmm. um, I used to do 20 minutes in the morning. And I found that I was leading such a high stress life by like two o'clock in the afternoon. I was like ready to lose it already. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I had kind of like used up the bank of calm and right. um, mental focus. So what I found for myself is that I do a few minutes in the morning, but then I sprinkle in mindful minutes throughout my day where I just take a minute, hmm. stop, take deep breaths, focus on my breathing. I do a couple of my mental pushups as I get distracted. I refocus. Mm -hmm. And now I keep mindful awareness longer throughout my day. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's something that I would need to practice a little bit more because I think that's where I'd probably get the most benefit out of it because you're right. Like, and then, and then you go home and, and, and everybody gets what's left of you. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. And that's a terrible way to treat um, your loved ones. So no, I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, I really wanted to get into something else though. Warrior's edge. 
Like, so I was sitting there looking at that and then some of the other things you're doing. And by the way, it's funny because I saw the picture of you and Pete Carroll and I'm looking at both of you as people that I look up to. I'm a huge Seahawks fan and I love Pete Carroll. And I'm like, wow, they're in the same picture together. What's going on here? So, so I was hoping you could kind of explain a little bit about what you're doing there and, uh, and like, what's it like working with Pete? Oh my gosh. He is amazing. Honestly. Um, I learn something new every time I talk to him and mm. every time we have a conversation. And um, so he is just, he's been someone who has been able to really translate mental skills, all of this foundational, um, these skill sets that we kind of train and talk about in the Warriors Edge program, which I'll discuss in a minute, but all of these skill sets into culture, right? And that is what is really challenging for leaders, right? Is how do you take these skill sets and things like love and, you know, focus and grit and compassion, and how do you bring them and build them into the fabric of, of an organizational culture? And then how do you build it into a winning culture, right? Like, so it's very fascinating what he's been able to do during his time at USC. And then also with the Seahawks, because he definitely has a bold and unconventional approach, right? It's, it goes against the norm. And I know that the reason why he and I bonded, um, we, we actually met through Dr. Mike Gervais, mm -hmm. who has the Finding Mastery podcast. So I'll put a plug in for him. He has a great nice. podcast as well. Um, but I was a guest on his podcast about five years ago. And so that's how we met, you know, just talking about mental skills and high performance. And we kept in contact. And then I had the opportunity to meet him and Pete at the same time. And we just bonded over this shared passion for wanting to help people be their best. Mm -hmm. We sh bonded over this shared passion for wants, wanting to integrate mental skills in a bold and unconventional way and pushing against the norms of our respective you know, professional um, environments, right? Like he was pushing against the norm in sport and NFL and college football. And Mike had been pushing that norm with Olympic athletes. Um, and then I was innovating in that same space within the military. And we just found how necessary it is, right? Not only for our professional success, but the culture of an organization and our personal well-being and overall finding sustainable pathways to high performance and joy. So we decided to kind of collaborate together and build the Warrior's Edge program that is focused on helping high-stress um, high individuals get control of their life, find their best selves, because here's the concept as a team. When each individual on your team knows how to be their best self, right? How do you be your best you each and every day? And then you lock arms together, mm -hmm. you make an unstoppable team. Right, a team that's what? What are those things that that what I said between hesitation and commitment? You need to be present. Mm -hmm. You need to have a clearly a defined purpose, mm -hmm. and you need to have an optimistic psychological framework for how you see the world and wh what you're about to do and what's right in front of you. And so that's really what he's been able to kind of instill in the teams that he works in. And I've just been really honored to partner with him, to work with him, to have our team of athletes um, that we uh, also teach with. And um, yeah, and inside the Warriors Edge program, there's, we teach 16 principles of mindset. It's an eight hour course that we teach live or virtual. Um, it's taught by military operators and Olympic athletes. And it's all rooted in the content created by myself, Pete and Mike. 
and um, like I said, based in science and evidence-based practices. And then we also have a self-paced online program. So it offers scalability within organizations or just if an individual that wants to take it upon themselves to professionally or personally develop um, with formal mindset skills, we're, we're there for them as well. That's awesome. So how, did it, how do people find out more about that? Where do they visit and if they wanted to sign up? So it's um, through competetocreate.org backslash Warrior's Edge. Or if you just Google like my name and Warrior's Edge, you'll find the website. So there's um, our curriculum is outlined on there. So there's five pillars of mindset, mindfulness, mental skills, um, self-discovery, recovery, and psychological framework. And then inside those are the 16 principles we teach. And like I said, we use a, um, we use a learn, live, lead model because each one of those principles can be trained, you know, to, to formally train your mind. So we teach the learn aspect is the science behind it. The live aspect is how you train it every day. And then the leadership aspect is how do you, how do you really build your culture around formalized mental skills training? and ultimately help your teams, right? Not just build high performance, but build it in a sustainable way. So um, yeah, and, and, and I have a website as well, and there's information on Warrior's Edge on there, as well as my individual programming that I do um, with corporate, um, yeah, corporate engagements, military engagements, um, mainly uh, really tied into this idea of commanding your mindset. That's probably where I focus my training on as well, because I think if we don't get command of our minds, then our minds are going to command us. And that's not the high performing sustainable path. Right. And that's, and that's JanelleMcCauley.com, right? Yes. Awesome. Yes. Com. And I have a, people can reach out to me that way as well. If they have any questions or on all the social media platforms, um, I'd love to connect with folks on those as well. Yeah. Uh, and if you're not connected with her, you need to on LinkedIn, Facebook, you get to see some amazing things. I know um, I, I've been highly impressed and I really appreciate you coming on the show, uh, Janelle. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. I've enjoyed it too. I knew we would have some interesting conversations <laughs> and I'm just so, again, I'll just iterate one more time. Like I am so proud of what you're doing and how you are helping to motivate the next generation of leaders, both with education, training, and by your example. So kudos to you and your team. Awesome. Thank you. And um, whenever we wrap these up, we always want to wrap it up what we call the leadership rapid fire. All right. So <laughs> give you a series of four questions. I, we call it rapid, but it doesn't have to be that rapid. <laughs> you could take a moment to gather your thoughts. So it, uh, and it's however you want to interpret the question and however you want to answer it, right? <laughs> All right. So first question is, what is your favorite leadership trait? Trust. Trust. Awesome. Why so? So I think that you need trust if you want to be an innovative and creative and risk-taking leader. Yeah. I think it's foundational. And in fact, there was a quote by Colin Powell when he was asked, what is the most important leadership yeah. thing? And he said, trust because... And I love this quote, and it's always stuck with me. He said, when you have trust, people will follow you, if only out of curiosity. Mm. And so if you want to be someone who pushes against the norm, right? Like when I wanted to be a leader that wanted to teach mindfulness, right? Like, again, like I couldn't just sit there and say, hey, everybody's going to do this because I enjoy it, because my senior NCOs would have mutinied, right? Like, right. 
So instead, I started with building trust. I started with being present, being connected, like understanding and listening and paying attention. And then once I built that trust, when I said something like, hey, you guys, I think we should try this thing called mindfulness. It'll Mm -hmm. help you be more focused. It'll help you be more calm. It'll help you with your relationships. They were like, all right, we're not really sure where this is going to go, but we trust her, right? And so I think that quote really summarizes how a leader can be most effective, especially when they are taking risks and, and which I think we all need to do for our organizations. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. All right. Question number two, what is one thing that you have to do every day, like a ritual that you absolutely have to do every day to make sure that you're on your game? So I am a big proponent of a morning mindset routine. Mm. And so what that means is every morning before I even get out of bed, I have mental practice and then I also, I'm going to, I'll add in my physical practice practice as well, just because I'm getting old. So this might be helpful for some of your more mature folks out there too. (laughs) Before I get out of bed in the morning, right? I take two really deep breaths, right? Those diaphragmatic breaths. I take two deep breaths and then I set an intention for the day. And I say, okay, what do I want to get out of today? What is my intention? Then I recite to myself my personal philosophy, which for me are five L's, labor, laugh, learn, love, and lead. Not that I do those things in equal parts. I just make sure I do all of them each day. And so I kind of recite, this is what I'm about. This is who I am and and how I stay aligned. And then um, I, I actually, here's my physical part. I bring my knees into my chest and I kind of wiggle my toes and spell the alphabet. Because if you step out of bed and you crack, 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 like a lot of us do, <laughs> it's because you don't have synovial fluid inside your joints. So I'm really big on like, you bend at the hips, the knees, the ankles, and then you write the alphabet with your toes and your ankles. And then you step out of bed, right? And I plant my feet on the ground and I just tell myself, be present. Mm. And so that morning mindset routine is something I think shapes the way we're going to interact with our environment throughout the rest of the day. And if you don't have something like that, most people will wake up with that pit in their stomach about some worry about yesterday or some catastrophe that is possibly going to happen tomorrow. And that's not a high performing state. Oh, I'm so glad I asked you that question. That's awesome. (laughs) All right. All right. Question number three, what is a book that you would recommend to an aspiring leader? Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Awesome. Love that book. Hands down, like my favorite, my favorite book, because if we don't do the exploration for ourselves to figure out what's important to us and what gives us meaning or purpose, how can you lead others? Mm-hmm. Because part of leading others is helping them find those things. Right. And we have to do that individual work and that independent journey. And I think his book is just a great way to explore that for ourselves. Yeah. Awesome. And we'll make sure we add that to the show notes too, in case anybody wants to explore that book. Um, phenomenal book. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so final question, and this is a deep question. Uh, at the Lama Lounge, we're all about life learning and leadership. So how does Dr. McCauley find her harmony between life, learning, and leadership? (laughs) Um, That's a great question. And it goes, it really goes to my five L's. Mm -hmm. So the reason why that's my life philosophy is because for so many years of my life, all I saw was the hard work and the labor, Mm -hmm. right? Like I saw that like I'm accomplishing things, I'm super successful, but it's a stressful life, right? And I'm in the hustle. That's all I really saw. And in the meantime, I was mind wandering through love 
and laughter and learning and leading and all of those great things that were right in front of me. I just missed them every day because I'd get to the end of the day and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so tired. And all I did was work and I could not find the joy. And so my L's remind me that it's not about balance. It's just about harmony, right? And at the end of the day, and I do this with my kids too. So anyone who has kids, like I think this is a great exercise is that at the end of the day, my son and I and my daughter, we do a meditation because I'm helping them to learn about the power of their breath and how meditation can be helpful. So we do a little mini meditation, like three minutes. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards we go through our L's and I say, did you laugh today? Did you love today? Did you learn? Did you labor and work hard? And did you lead? Mm -hmm. And my son has a sixth L, it's called listen. So we always add his <laughs> L. Good but one. <laughs> the reason why I go through that is to make sure at the end of the day, I look back and I say, I may not have done all those things in equal parts, but I did do every single one of them. Yeah. Right. And I want them to understand that as they grow up as well, that it's not about balancing those things and it's not just about the hard work. That's important. Right. So why, which is why it is an L, but it's not at the, at the expense of all that, those other things. Yeah. That's an amazing perspective. I love it. I'm gonna have to start adopting some of those into my own life. I really appreciate, appreciate you sharing that. And once again, so appreciative that you're here and I'm so honored and grateful to be connected with you. Me too, Joe. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It's yeah, been absolutely. And hopefully we can have you on again sometime. I think it'd be great. We could start talking a little bit more about flow state and some of the other cool stuff that we brought up. <laughs> I would love that. I would love that. That would be awesome. And, or maybe I'll, I'll come and we'll talk more warrior's edge too. Yeah. Like that yeah. Awesome. Oh yeah. That'd be awesome. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you so much. And as always to our listeners, you know, as always be safe, stay healthy and the llamas are out. Thanks for tuning in to the llama lounge podcast. Be sure to visit the homepage for links to products and services related to this episode. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. See you next time.